but but you're right, Zach. Going back to what you said, you know, this isn't a Christian allegory. Uh, you know, this isn't Pilgrim's Progress. You know, this is a, a standalone work of fantasy that is heavily, heavily influenced by a Christian worldview. Right. Doesn't mean that it's you know a dressed up version of of books of the Bible. It's it's its own thing, and it can take right. some liberties. And I think that's part of why doing this show is so interesting is picking apart those pieces that that fit very closely with what with what the Bible says and the Bible describes, uh, and then and chewing on the things that are more what we would call classically fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. coming from outside of that and how those things can mesh and make something so beautiful um, and and true in some sense, even if it is fictional, which it is. But yeah. I always want to be clear about that. <laughs> it's real in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you uh, want it to be real hard enough, then it is. That's right. Just 2023. Speaking into the universe. That's right. Manifest that power. That's right. My faith. My faithful (laughs) words. We're no longer Baptists. We are now Pentecostal Charismatics. (laughs) Uh, I wish Nick were here because his boy Mandos gets a shout out in the chapter because dwarves get their very own special apartment in in the in the halls of Mandos, which I think is is kind of cute. Um. And the dwarves get, isn't that adorable? Uh, And the dwarves get to come back and and swing their hammers at the kind of the remaking of the world. The kind of uh, Ragnarok type of thing that that Tolkien never got to writing down. But um, so they get to come back and be Aule's kind of um, sidekicks uh, in the, in the, when the world is remade. So it's, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay. Uh, on, on to uh, Yavanna and, and the almost divorce. Uh, <laughs> I thought there was an interesting dichotomy between the two characters. So on one hand, Aule is doing all these great works in secret. Um, and But then the complaint of Yavanna is that she can't keep people out of her work. <laughs> like everybody, everybody's interfering with the stuff that she wants to do. Like even if she wanted to do things in secret, she couldn't because everybody... It's just is just uh, getting involved in in making a mess of her plans. Uh, I thought that was I, am I off base there? Am I thinking too hard? No, nah, she was she was kind of aggravated about it. It seems like. Well, and I, as a wife, I guess <laughs> I could understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How can nobody go. ever messes up your stuff? <laughs> well and it's yeah well yeah that's true too there's a lot of going behind and messing up but um i think just not being in the know you know like the idea of your Mm. husband working in secret so I, i can understand you know her frustration first of all and I think she she seems to me that she's upset that she didn't have any part in making them because mm-hmm. they're going to be. At first, when I read it, it kind of almost sounded like she was like cursing them, like they're going to be opposed to hers. But I think really when I read it again, it felt more like she's worried that 
the dwarves are going to destroy her work because they were made without her input. So they're not going to have the love for the stuff that she's made. Yeah, they're so going to need wood really... for their furnaces, right? To, to smelt whatever right. metal they're going to, they're going to make their, keep their forges hot. It's going to be her but, trees that they use to, to make, make the forges hot. Right. And I think this was such a cool way of kind of like <clears throat> pitting the two sides. Like you have your super eco-conscious people, you know, that almost value the trees and nature more than humanity. And then you've got the people over here that are like, ah, burn it all, like mine all the things and mm-hmm. and industry know, over everything else. Right. Yeah. Right. Birmingham, England, basically. Right. <laughs> like the the inspiration for Mordor, like where uh where Tolkien grew up, like it was just pure industry and you know, nobody had clean air, you couldn't see the sun. Um they they call it the black country because it's just you know everything was covered in soot, um, so much smoke in the air it just made people sick, and and that and so all those those belching smokestacks and all those fires uh, went straight into his his vision of Mordor, and I think I, I kind of think you know Yavanna has something like that in the back of her mind when she sees just what what out, not only Ali is capable of but what the dwarves are capable of too, you know, they could turn her forests into factories. Mm-hmm. When we, when we moved out here, it's been almost four years, but the highway that we live in the piney woods. So you get really, really tall pines, but also being in Louisiana, we have a lot of the live oak. Ooh, those are so cool. Yeah. Huge, gorgeous trees. And along the highway to our house, it was lined with these huge live oaks that the branches and bows would just kind of arch over the highway and it was gorgeous and I loved it. And within six months, they all had spray paint on them. And I was like, what's going on? And they came down and just cut them all out. (laughs) And I like, I feel ridiculous, but like I didn't cry, but I wanted to cry. I was so sad. But they cut these trees down because they were beautiful. And my neighbor, yeah, she was a, she's an elderly lady and she's really involved in the community. And she was super excited that they were finally being cut down. And I was like, why? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm between that. That's so opposite. Like old lady thing. Like, oh, why are you cutting my trees down? (laughs) Yeah. No, they wanted it. I don't know. What went in their place? That was. It wasn't. And it was really sad because they were beautiful trees and yeah, trees are trees, but um, I feel for Yavanna in this scenario because it's like, oh, I I wouldn't want... I like nature. I'm not a super like you know, Greta Thunberg type mm-hmm. person at all, but yeah. I like trees. Yeah, she. I think she really embodies the... the um the responsibility that that we've been given to steward creation, like as, as part of the dominion mandate, you know, obviously we, as, as, as human beings, uh, you know, it's our responsibility to, to be fruitful and multiply, but we need to, we need to care also for the, uh, for the creation that, 
that God has made and has placed us in to live. So yeah, you do kind of have to, to kind of hold the line there between um, to industry and in making improvements, uh, but not, not to the detriment of, of the earth itself that, that God has placed us in. Uh, and that can be, that can be a tough line to walk. And I like that line too, where it says something uh, that they're long in the growing and swift shall they be in the felling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a big reason why like those live oaks, like they're probably a hundred years old. Mm -hmm. So like it took a hundred years for you to look like this. Mm -hmm. And then you're felled in a day and chopped up in a bitty bits. And you end up as Beaver Dam Lee. A <laughs> hundred years, and this is what happens. And and that this is your inauspicious end. Despicable. But at least it's artwork, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think trees. It, it's because it, like trees are so important to Tolkien, and um, the thing, yeah, trees. I think more than anything else, at least in Tolkien's work maybe even in regular life trees really are a marker for the significance of the passage of time uh, <laughs> yes filling out the bingo card whoop, whoop. <laughs> i got it <laughs> our, our listeners our listeners are starting to wonder if that was going to come in into play or not we've been talking for a while and it never came up but here it is <laughs> well played because <laughs> that's exactly what yvonne is talking about yeah. it's perfect it, it might as well have been in the chapter so i'm i'm glad we i'm glad we made this happen um, so, so they go to the, the great arbiter Monway, right? The guy who knows the mind of, of Eru the best. And I know we called him boring and, and I feel like I want to retract that because like, it's hard to be so powerful and noble and also noteworthy, <laughs> but because like, you could be like, it could be kind of like, uh, the, um, What's the thing of like the guy who like the the guy who's effortlessly good at, at everything without learning anything in like fantasy and science fiction stories? The girl version is Mary Sue, but I can't remember what they call a, a guy um, who's good at it. Anyway, but sometimes that's how like characters like Monway feel like he's just good at everything. He doesn't have to learn anything. There's no narrative arc to to his growth as a character, and so he's boring. But I, I, that's actually not not true. Because uh, in this, so they're they're appealing, Yavanna's appealing to him about this this problem that she that she foresees uh, with with deforestation of her of her handiwork, and Monway looks into the song, and I thought this was so interesting. Like these guys have been spinning out the song, the theme of of Eru from the beginning of time, and from their creation, uh, singing singing their parts of his of his song. And yet he has to look deeper into the song to understand exactly what's going on. Like, even though he is one of the principal singers of the song of Iluvatar, right? He still has to go back and study the, the theme 
to, to further understand like what's going on. I, I, I'm like, I just kind of like my brain exploded when I, when I read that, I had never noticed that before uh, in any of my prior reads of, of the Silmarillion. I thought that yeah. was brilliant. Absolutely. It's, it gives you a, uh, and I don't know much about Tolkien's background as far as musical training, but he seems like he was probably a musician, uh, at least to some extent. He, he had like at least it. an understanding of it. Um, because Especially lyrically, that, at least. Yeah, well, this is something that musicians do, even uh, just the way they interpret a a piece that they play or something they they keep going back to it over and over again and learning more of the same thing it doesn't mm -hmm. get old it gets more and more refined as they go they get better at it they get a deeper understanding of the music um it's especially noticeable with like um something that you that you actually sing like something that is lyrical Mm -hmm. um, just uh, and even even if some, with something we don't know the music to like if you look at the psalms how many psalms can you go back to just over and over again and you get something new out of it just every time um you know, I, I sing in uh, a performance of handel's messiah every year and there's always something new that mm -hmm. gets drawn out through the music, through the lyrics. And it's, it's always an incredible experience. Like it, it doesn't get old. It get, it's always, there's always something more to draw out from these great works of music. So. Are you a baritone? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a tenor. <laughs> You're a tenor? Yeah. Don't say it no like that. way. <laughs> yes, Lee, I'm a dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I, fi I figured I figured you were on the lower end. Uh, I'm a tenor. <laughs> You're definitely a tenor. But I, I, I do sing I sing tenor. So. I would try I would try to do counter tenor if I were brave. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> basically my Bee Gees voice, but I would just be classier about it. <laughs> There's nothing classier than the Bee Gees. You got that right. <laughs> You've never been more right than in this moment. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I could talk about music all day, though, so... That's why I always enjoy anytime there's a musical reference in any of these chapters. Uh, getting to talk about that because I know that's that's a big thing for you and something you're super knowledgeable in and practiced in as well. And uh, you always bring good insight to musical related things here. So, gee, Zach, well, I'm glad you're so part of this. <laughs> what what well, I like what you said about that too. It just like tying the Psalms in and stuff. It just I know it's not a Christian work but it's so influenced by that. And just the fact that the song in Chops, a sense. Chop Suey by System gonna, of a Down. Yes. <laughs> now I'm talking about Tolkien's work is not necessarily oh. a Christian, but it is, but it's not. Yeah. Um, Un unofficially. 
I'm going to sound very charismatic. I'm not. But it's the song is prophetic, you know, like Mm. it's it's this Mm. prophetic song. And so and it's not just like prophecy is like a future telling. It's like, no, it's what it is. Like, it's what God says, you know, and Mm -hmm. what he says will be telling. Yes. And so you look, you see that here with Monway, that similar concept where he looks back and he sees things that were hidden before. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like we all like, I don't know, Zach said he, the exact thing. He had to exegete the song, right? He yeah. had to exegete the theme of, right. of Eru Iluvatar. He had to go back to go back to the source to find the, the direction for what was the right decision here. It's essentially like pre-first age uh, um, sola scriptura, essentially. Yeah. You know, if you're you're having... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just thinking, you know, if you've got an issue ahead of you, uh, like like we've got here, you know, instead of just coming up with your own thought, you know, you you have to to appeal to the source of authority. Right. Okay, I can talk. (laughs) I keep talking over you. (laughs) There's like a weird delay going on. Yeah, I was like, wait, nope, nope, he's talking. Okay. Um, yeah, and just that it's something that's already there, but you have to wait for the significance of the passage of time to. <laughs> we got <laughs> through for this episode. Yep, yep. Good job. But really, like, it's stuff that has to happen in time for you to understand what was said before. So, just like a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament meant something then they meant something more now that we know how it played out and you kind of see that similar thing here where now that it's playing out they're they're getting it more Mm -hmm. based on the song yep couldn't agree more um one of the i think the thing that you know so you know based on that uh in in this this appeal and all that uh, the outcome was for another people to come into existence, which I think would be a term that nobody would have ever expected. So out of this concern of Yavanas, we get um, the shepherds of the trees, the Ents, and uh, yeah. which is super cool. Like, oh yeah, so you know, you're, you're afraid of uh, all the trees disappearing? Then, then we're going to give you this this race of kind of tree kind of troll something people who are who are going to be the shepherds of the trees and, and ensure that they're gonna they're gonna survive and you know the the ents took a lot of hits uh, in in the course of their calling um but even into the third age there were still plenty of trees in in arda so the the right decision was made and they're so cool they're so cool. <laughs> it's just unbelievably cool. And as as far as I know, I don't think that there's any any basis in any uh, other lore out there that would have inspired Tolkien to come up with this living tree thing. I, as far as I know, I think these are a unique concept to Tolkien's work. I mean, obviously, like there's been like living and talking trees in in folklore before but nothing as far as i know nothing like an ent the way that it's described in in his work so 
I think that's, I would call this a wholly original creation of, uh, of Tolkien's fantasy world. Which is pretty cool. It's better than saying I am Groot all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Treebeard is so much better than Groot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, or some stranger yelling, I am good. At the end of a TV program. You have not seen what I have seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got an elf saying, touch the darkness, and then some... (laughs) Like, so, just so lame. That was bad writing, for sure. I really hope they don't make him Gandalf. He's so Gandalf. He's Gandalf. And the little the little Hobbit girl is why he likes Hobbits so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoiler: the Hobbits right, taught him to talk, right? <laughs> they taught him speech. Oi. Oof! The magic of wandering. So, what about them eagles? Woo-hoo, yes. Eagles. Yes. You know, there's, there's been debate about, like, do the eagles count as one of the peoples of Middle-earth? And uh, mm. I, I'm on the side of they are not peoples of Middle-earth because they're not really of Middle-earth. Um, they're they're basically at the beck and call of Manwe at the top of Taniquetil in, uh, in Valinor. So they come to they come to um, they come to Middle-earth, um, but but they're not of they're not of Middle-earth in that way. That that even the dwarves are, you know, the dwarves are made out of Middle Earth rock. Uh, the the, el- the 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 eagles are basically just spirits that take the form of gigantic eagles. Um, yeah. I think the eagles are so cool. Yeah, they are. I loved. I played that game, and I can never remember the name of it. I think it was War in the North or something. It was a, a Lord of the Rings game. And uh, it takes it takes place kind of at some time concurrent with the events of Lord of the Rings, uh, according to the game. Of course, it's it's obviously not not lore uh, approved, but um, but there's a, an eagle character that, that you're kind of taking orders from in it. And I thought it was so cool to finally have something where we're interacting with with the eagles instead of just you know seeing them from afar or. Uh, you know, swooping in here and swooping back out, carrying people away. Because they have, I mean, they've got, they have names and personalities and are, are actually characters when they get involved in, in the, in the plot. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's a good tie-in too, to the Hobbit here, because um, Mon, like, Yvonne wants, she's like, oh, sweet, the eagles will be in my trees. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nope. <laughs> they're they're gonna they're be in alloys yeah they're gonna be in alloys mountains and i remember when i read the hobbit the first time i was like that's weird that the eagles are like in the mountain i guess it makes sense but uh here our eagles perch up in trees so just the fact that you have the eagles kind of in the passes in the mountains in the mm-hmm. hobbit there's that connection there mm-hmm. These aren't these aren't your run of the mill eagles. Yeah, <laughs> and isn't it like Bayorn who has like a pretty good history with them? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. 
Yeah, Bayhorn, the uh, the shapeshifter, the bear yeah. man, the bear yes. man. Who I really liked yeah. in that story, by the way. Yes, man, the Hobbit is so good. It is so good. I need to reread all of that. He's like, Bayorn is like the Tom Bombadil of the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super based, super powerful, a total mystery. <laughs> and nobody yeah. like him. Nope. Yeah. Except the there are Bjornings, but I, they're still not as powerful as him. But Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, that, that book is so good. And that book is strengthened by um, Tolkien's almost supernatural power of retconning. Like he did, he did so much retconning uh, in from his first edition to the edition that we read now to to further tie in with uh, what he wrote then later in Lord of the Rings, um, mm. and, and some of the stuff from the Silmarillion too. I think that he was retconning in light of all those ideas that were happening. So that's why those those like first edition. Hobbits are so collectible and so expensive because not only are they they're old and you know they're first edition so they already have value that way but actually the story is a little different um, mm-hmm. than than what we know of the Hobbit so so if you have a, a first edition Hobbit man hold on to that thing I don't hold on to it better than than Nicholas Cage held on to his uh, Action Comics number one that's for sure. <laughs> That's a reference I don't understand. You don't know about the the Action Comics number one? No. Uh, Nick Cage was having these just uproarious parties at his house, and and he had a like a shadow box that was also a safe that had uh, Action Comics number one is where Superman made his debut in comics history, and uh, somebody somebody swiped it. It was just gone. So like he went to the he went to the safe one day, and all of a sudden the most collectible comic in the world that he had a copy of uh, one of uh, an edition of uh, was gone, completely gone. And uh, a search was underway to, to find it. There's actually a really good podcast about this called stealing Superman. Um, very good. And it's Nicholas cage. How could you not be interested? <laughs> like that alone. Like, let me count oh, like, the ways. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I actually heard there's a guy who's uh, uh who, j- who got uh voted into into Congress and and he's going to be this is so dumb he's going to be sworn in on a copy of that very same comic book from the National Archives. It's like why would you get sworn in? Like you know e- even like like Muslims get sworn in on the Quran or something or or on a copy of the Constitution something like there's nothing binding about Action Comics number one but. Anyway, I digress. But what what really filled my mind once I was done thinking about how stupid that was, was could you imagine a, a like National Treasure-esque <laughs> real-life movie where Nicolas Cage, who misses his comics so badly, breaks into the National Archive to not, to not steal the Declaration of Independence, but to steal back his very own comic book? Wouldn't that be amazing? That. You should pitch oh, that dude. to Nicolas Cage. I, I think he'd do money. it. I would make money. A good so Netflix special. <laughs> that would so be amazing. Easy. I would watch that. <laughs> so anybody who I listens to this podcast, don't steal my idea. I still haven't watched that a trailer for 
um was it renfield renfield yeah yeah the dracula <laughs> it looks super weird but i kind of want to watch it <laughs> <laughs> like renfield is like in a in like a group therapy session talking about be- being like like taken advantage of or something or like taken for granted and uh it is so funny all those spiders yeah. are getting to his head yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Spiders and flies, little mice. Mm. Blood is lives. Read Dracula if you haven't. You need to understand read our Dra- joke. Read Dracula. You know, I'd love to turn that into like a like a reader's theater or like mock radio play, unabridged. Like I think that would be really fun. That would be fun. You can do it. I was I was a theater dweeb in high school. So sometimes those thoughts occur to me. I know I you're not surprised, Mina. Zach. Don't don't look like you're surprised. I'm not at all. <laughs> not, not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I don't. I don't. Makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the pieces are falling into place now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my 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 whole thing makes total sense. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I have no more powerful thoughts about this chapter. Does anybody have anything else you want to add at all about Ale and Yavana? I'm glad they're still married. Yeah, they seem yeah, like they were both pretty really... sassy with each other. So yeah. That was interesting. They keep it real. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not it's not a goal that you should have but it happens sometimes <laughs> you know that's right <laughs> uh, I, I, like, and I wasn't it. taking I wasn't taking sides with either of them I feel like they both had good points mm-hmm. in their discussion and but, that's what's so difficult when each side has a point yeah the only other thing I like trying to get into like the more mainstream stories because I think that's something that will help get people interested in reading the Silmarillion is the like Gimli's fear of the forests, you know? Oh, yeah. And that, and when they have to go into Fanghorn Forest mm-hmm. and all that, like it adds that extra level of understanding. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, yeah. on why he's worried about Put that. your axe down yeah 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 keep your axe low and then you you see that kind of fulfillment of both Aule and yavana's mm-hmm. wishes kind of all coming to a head right there mm-hmm. yep. in that scene yeah i never thought about that but yeah that makes that that does make that scene make a lot more sense Yep. Uh, and you know, you already mentioned too about kind of the the issues between elves and dwarves. That that's a complicated story, but part of it does kind of come out of this chapter where um, the elves do kind of see the the dwarves as illegitimate, and so even for like a gathering of the free peoples of Middle Earth at the Council of Elrond, like two 
a more bigoted elf mind, you know, they would have little patience for, for dwarves sitting there because they, in their heart of hearts, they wouldn't see them as legitimately having a seat at that table because they're usurpers kind of, um, right. by the will of, the, of their sub creator. Uh, and of course that, well, that's, that's, not- that's part of why they hate each other, but not the, not the whole picture either, but there's, there's some treachery later that, that hurts yeah. that relationship. But, um, anyway, you were saying, well, that's something we didn't really talk about that you had in our notes was the difference of the children of adoption and the children of my choice. I don't know if you really want to go down I, that. Yeah. Right or- I, I touched on it just briefly, but you know, as, as Calvinists, I know some other types of Christians might have a different thought pattern on this, but you know, for us, those two things are one and the same. Um, all, all of, of God's covenant children, Christians, are, are children of adoption and thus are children of his choice. You know, they were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so, you know, splitting those two concepts apart in this story was an interesting thing to think about. Because for me, you know, that they're the same thing. To be adopted by God was to have been chosen by God, to be a child of his choice. Um, to be elect, you know, um, and I don't know if that's a bit of, I don't know if that's a bit of Roman Catholicism coming through or just Tolkien's attempt to put hit that concept into language of, of this creation by essentially an angel that God then breathes life into so as to not make them be destroyed. Maybe his way of plotting around that, uh, sort of Isaac Ishmael issue in his in his own world i don't know i'd love to ask him if i could but that's the best i i could think through i think maybe he was just a closet dispensational (laughs) 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 a papist dispensationalist (laughs) you love to see it i'm really entertained (laughs) by that idea (laughs) That, that's yeah, the Beaver wrote... Van Lee for me. <laughs> <laughs> he had a Schofield. I wrote in my notes. I wrote in my notes. Hyper Dispy. <laughs> oh, did you really? There you go. Yeah, especially because the separate apartment and Mando's, like mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes super hyper Dispies will see like a different mm-hmm. end for yeah. the mm-hmm. church. Ethnic Israel versus yeah, ethnic Israel. or versus the church. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people the talk children, that way. Children of adoption and children of choice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That does fit so that we're, paradigm. So we're all the dwarves, I guess. As Gentiles, we are yeah, that's right. the dwarves. We're dwarves. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> Wonder if I've got enough Jewish ancestry to not be a dwarf. I have to go to 23 and me just to make sure the percentages are right. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, it would be pretty dope to be a dwarf. Not going to lie. Yeah. I think those guys are great. Yes. Yeah. I want Gimli to be my friend. I would, I would have loved to have an entire novel of the friendship of Gimli and Legolas. Cause yeah. like, yeah. After the events of Lord of the Rings, they basically like travel the world together 
and, and go see all sorts of things and have great experiences together and then go to heaven together. It's like, it would be such a great, be such a great novel. I wish there was something like that. There's probably some fan fiction out there. <laughs> oh, probably. It, given our social climate, it would probably include some, some spicy oh, material no. I'd rather not read. No. <laughs> no. They already tried that with Frodo and Sam. Ugh. I, don't, I don't need to see that with Gimli and Legolas. Oh, no. No. Yeah. Oh, no. The internet is a cursed place sometimes. Yes. Ugh. Almost always. Which is why the literary Baptist is on Twitter uh, in, in a further <laughs> attempt to, uh, to to redeem that dumpster fire of a, of a site. You know, Ugh. I always like to push. I always like to push the socials when I can, and the face and the Facebook page too. No, Facebook, so, you can interact we'll us with a, us on either of those. Yeah, bring us some likes. Maybe one day we'll do Instagram. Maybe one day. Uh, Facebook would be a good together. place to, to. I don't know. Do they with a page? I don't think they come as a package deal. Do they like they would with a user account? I don't know how that how that splits off. I, I think you can claim one, but name it and claim it, Zach. Yes. No. <laughs> Not yes. I'm, I'm Jonah. I'm, I'm reluctant. I don't want to do it. <laughs> you can't make me. Don't send the eagles after me. You just want to go sleep in the bottom of a boat. I know that's what you're yeah. talking about. Yep. Any any other random thoughts? I know we've already pushed the socials, but well, thank you all very much. Uh, it's always a fun time talking through things. I do hope. Uh, Nick and his family survived the uh, the onslaught of Angband, and uh, hopefully he will rejoin us on our next episode in in safety, back in his in his uh, fresh new Hobbit hole. So until until next time, uh, be well. Uh, may Monway keep you in the one, and peace out.